Jesus sanctifies his people. We're in Ezekiel 37 again, verses 24 to 28. There's a young man uh, just learning construction, just learning, uh, it was commercial construction, and I was learning metal studs and drywall and acoustical ceilings. And we were working on a project in Arlington Heights, and I met another guy who was the leader of that job, who was older than me, and, um, and we became friends. And I had lunch with him, we went and played racquetball together, and, and, um, and he started to tell me his story. <clears throat> and he told me about a brokenness in his home that it was over a decade old. He had not talked to his father for over 10 years. And as he described it, I, you know, there's a clenching of the jaw, a set in the conversation where this far and no father, I will not be hurt anymore, I will not, whatever it was. So, I, so I'm so sorry, what started it? And he has no idea. He couldn't tell me what broke the family relationship to the point where he would where he would not consider talking to his dad anymore, and he doesn't go for any of the family events anymore. And I think, man, that's kind of the human condition. I was watching a special this week on the presidents, and it went through World War I and World War II, and I thought for this sermon, you know, we'd like look at what was the cause of World War II, and that was very complex. Like, we'd spend the whole sermon on just talking about what the cause was, and it was just broken relationship, broken relationship. Okay, let's talk about what World War I. It's actually after our conversation, Chuck, that I started digging in and, and, and dreaming about this. And I'm, and I'm looking at what the cause of World War I, and it gets all landed on one assassination, but really, it's so much more complex than that. Almost like a powder keg was ready to blow. And then one thing happened, the next thing, no, the whole world is at war. And everybody's fighting, and millions of people die. Where does our brokenness come from? Where does our separation come from? And how does this happen? Uh, as we can look at this passage, we are in the, in the moment when they're sitting on the, in, in Babylon asking those questions. How did we get this broken? What does Jesus have to say to us? Not Jesus, but God have to say to us. For us, it would be Christ. What does God have to say to us about this brokenness? And are we lost forever? What did I have to say to my friend that day? And what would I say now? Where is the hope? Well, this passage is about not just God restoring, but God through his, through his Messiah, through the one who would come, is going to sanctify his people. And we'll talk about what that means as we go, but Jesus sanctifies his people. That's part of this great promise that we have in Christ. Let's look at the, the passage in verses 24 through 28, if you read along with me. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. 
it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Jesus will reign forever. And verse 24 begins, My servant David shall be king over them. My servant David shall be king over them. And what does that mean? Does it mean that David himself is going to come back? No, it's referring to a promise that Yahweh made in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. It's actually more than that, but I'll just consider 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and you shall come from your, that who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David is given this promise in about 1000 BC that someone's going to come from his loins, someone's going to come from his heritage, and that person will reign forever. And how the Israelites read that is that there will be a Davidic king on the throne forever. That this heritage, that they are, it's a birthright promised to them by God, and now there's no one on the throne. The throne is empty. Did God keep his promise? And while they're sitting and considering how much, how far have they fallen, is there any hope for us? God says that I'm going to establish this kingdom. There's a king still coming. And that king will be over them. Who's the them? That king will be over them. Well, we know that in the verses that precede this. If you were to look, we're reading the, the last part of the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. The first part of the 37th chapter of Ezekiel was the portion where we looked at the dry bones and God promised to breathe new life into the dry bones. And in the middle, there's a story of these sticks. Take a stick and call this Judah and a stick and call this Joseph or Manasseh. And he says, the stick of Joseph and Manasseh is the 10 tribes that, that went north and separated from you in the south. I'm going to bring you back together. I'm going to establish a kingdom that unites what was broken hundreds of years earlier. In 975 BC, shortly after David was given a promise, the kingdom split. What caused the split? Well, the sin of Solomon, the tyranny of Solomon, but honestly, human hearts. And they split, and the ten tribes went to the north, and the two tribes went to the south. How can God redeem this? How can God restore this? And in the south, you would have probably heard them say, well, the promise is for us. Those ten have left the promise because they're no longer in Jerusalem, the city of David. They're no longer connected to the promise that was David. They picked a different king. So in 975 B.C. to 721 B.C., they lived as different 
and oftentimes warring nations. How long had this divide been? How deep was it? How deep was the enmity and the hatred and the bitterness? And in 721 B.C., Assyria comes in and takes the north, and the ten tribes of the north are taken and ruined. Their plan was to take part of the people and bring them to Nineveh or to Assyria and then take some of the people from Nineveh and Assyria and bring them into the land in the north and have them intermarry so that there would be no people left. And those people that were there in Jesus' time were called the Samaritans. Hated. Thousand years later, hated. We walk around their land. We don't talk to them. Jesus, remember what he did? Talking to the woman of the well? I'm going to bring him back. I'm going to restore. In 586 B.C., the south falls to Babylon, and the Jerusalem is sacked, and the temple is ruined, and it seems like all the promises are gone. And Ezekiel says, loud and clear for us, my servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have, all have one shepherd. He's, what we've missed is these two sticks, these broken people, under the new Messiah, they're going to be brought home and brought back together. There is a promise, not just for the two tribes in the south, it is for all of God's people called Israel, all of the children of Abraham. He is going to redeem and restore and bring back a remnant from around the world. That's the promise. And that day is still yet to come. They return from their time away in 538 B.C. And in 538 B.C., when they return, it isn't at all like this is describing. They don't have a king. They have a very poor temple at that point, And they cry because of how poor it is by comparison with Solomon's temple. They weep and mourn for those who remember what used to be. He goes on to say they shall all have one shepherd and that rings for me of John chapter 10 when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And he's already calling to them. Come home. The ones that know my voice and respond, they are my sheep and I'll take care of them. They shall all have one shepherd as this eventually extends to us and all of the Gentiles and we get brought into the church. But at this point, we're talking about Israel. This is looking back. How far back? This is looking back to Jacob in verse 25. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers lived. Why Jacob? Because the promise was made to Abraham and through Abraham it came to one son, Isaac. And from Isaac it came to one son, Jacob, who was renamed Israel. And all of the Israelites came from Jacob. So he's saying all the way back at the beginning, those first promises, I am going to keep those promises. I'm going to keep them in Jesus Christ, this king, this son of David. And it's going to be better than you imagined. 
If this were, nationally speaking, this brokenness, and do we know anything about national brokenness? National brokenness that runs so deep over centuries that doesn't seem like it has any solution, and Jesus says, I am the solution. God says, I'm sending the solution in Jesus Christ. There is unbelievable hope as Jesus sanctifies his people. It looks back to Jacob. It looks back to David. And isn't it interesting that the very first verse of the New Testament, do you know it? In Matthew 1.1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why is that the first verse of the New Testament? It's the first verse of the New Testament because entering onto the stage is the one who will keep all of the promises that have been made in the Old Testament and all of the brokenness that is part of our lives, God is going to heal in Christ. Notice that in this passage, there isn't anything about what we do. It's about what God will do. My servant David shall be king over them. They shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and carefully obey my statutes. I love that part. The part of our sanctification, if you know the word sanctification, it means to set apart or to declare holy. It's to make legitimate. It's to fix it. The problem with bringing the people back to be with God, they still have the same problem that they had before. There is a brokenness. Do you think that if we take all the people that are at odds in our country or in our world right now and bring them into a room in close proximity, live together in peace, good luck. How's that go? How long before we start fighting? How long before we start dividing? If I would have said to my friend, just go home and love your dad, does that fix it all? The problem is we're human. And this promise includes something that takes care of our broken humanity. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. This Messiah who is coming, this son of David, is going to provide a way for us to be cured. He's been talking about, the promises have been coming about a new heart from our hardened heart. A new spirit given to us. When this Messiah comes, when this son of David comes, he came to heal and to cure. In verse 25, they shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. And I, I do think that this is talking about a time in the future when the Israelites will be brought to the land, back to the land of Jerusalem and be brought under the Messiah and there will be a new reign of Christ. I believe in that. And I think that that's what this is promising specifically about the Israelites coming back to the land. But I want us all to realize that bringing them back to the land doesn't fix things. I've been to Jerusalem. I don't know if you have. I've seen the bullet holes in the sides of the, of the, the wall. I've seen the Israelites weeping at the edge of the wall, looking up at what was once the temple. Wondering where's the hope. They may have come back in the 1940s to call that their nation, but that is, 
I've never experienced a land that was so tormented with conflict, surrounded by people that hate them. I've never experienced anything like it. I've never seen the signs on the wall of their conflicts that have been happening year after year after year, century after century after century. And the promise here is that he's going to bring his people back and they are going to dwell in the land and they're going to be in a right relationship with each other and with God. Just consider that. Being in a right relationship with God and with each other. No more shame. Forgiveness will be part of our lives. Wholeness. No more brokenness and despair. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. How long will this healing last? Forever. Is that hyperbole? What healing lasts forever? Only the one that can be provided by Jesus Christ through the blood that he shed on the cross. That's Alex's amen, just so you know. We love Alex. You give amens whenever you want, Alex. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. This is a forever arrangement. Jesus reigning, people restored to their relationship with God and to each other. And in this case, clearly in Ezekiel 37, we're talking about these two sticks that are so broken that, that from, the, from the shores that are there and the Tigris and Euphrates River, when they're sitting there in Babylon and they're wondering, how can this be that this can be ever fixed? And God says, I got this. I will fix it forever. They can't see it be fixed at all. And this servant from the loins of David will be their prince forever. Jesus will reign forever. And you might see that as my first point, and if you don't know Jesus, you might think, one tyrant to the next. Somebody who reigns forever. I mean, I've Studying the presidents, it was a good thing that George Washington stepped down so that presidents would never be able to, you know, have that kind of authority where they could spend their whole lives and never be accountable. I love that George Washington stepped down. It makes me love him as our first president because he could have stayed. And he modeled for the rest to step down. Jesus will never step down and we will never want him to. He will always be good. He is not a tyrant. He loves, he restores, he builds, he heals. And he will heal the brokenness in Israel, and he will heal the brokenness in our land. And for those of us who put our trust in him, we will be part of his, that land where he reigns. And we will never get up in the morning and say, boy, I wish he wouldn't reign today. For those of us who know Jesus, Jesus reigning forever is our hope. Jesus will bring a covenant of peace. Look at verse 26. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. A lot of I will going on here. 
I got this. We don't have to accomplish this. I will make a covenant of peace with them. What does that mean? Jesus came so that we could have peace with our Father and peace with each other and peace with ourselves. Does anybody know what it's like to not even be at peace with yourself? I do. I know what it's like to be tormented by my choices and the things that I haven't done and things that I should have done. And, and there is this great release in Jesus Christ knowing he's the champion, I'm not. He's the savior, I'm not. He's the one who's going to fix this. Praise God. I will make a covenant of peace with them. He has been making covenants with people since Abraham. Actually, he made one with Noah. And now he made one with Abraham where he made a promise to be part of this people, the Israelites. He made a promise to David. And in making that promise, he aligned the promises to all humanity through that. That very first promise in Genesis chapter 12 wasn't just for the Israelites. It was a promise that the Israelites from the Israelites would come a blessing to all nations. He was already planning on Jesus being the fulfillment of these promises. He already knew we wouldn't be able to keep our end. And now he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. And as we turn to Jeremiah, starting next week, Dr. Dave is going to preach a sermon that is one of our favorites in this study. The promise of a new covenant, a new promise. And as a prelude to it, I would just read from Luke twenty-two twenty. It says, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is, the, this is the cup, this cup is that which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Sorry that I botched that. Let me try it again. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is a promise of this new promise. I am going to make a promise to you that I will be the one who provides all you need. It is a covenant of peace. And how was it accomplished? By his blood being poured out. And in a short time, we are going to be celebrating communion together. And that's a memorial of this promise of a relationship that is unhindered with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the promise that he's hinting about all the way back in Ezekiel. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. We will not botch this. He will accomplish it. This will not fail. God's promises never fail. Abraham's promise will be fulfilled at the end in the new covenant. The promise to Isaac and Jacob fulfilled. The promise to Moses fulfilled in Christ who kept the law. The promise to David, the king who will reign forever in peace. This is all of the promises. And then the promise extends to us, the Gentiles, the, the ones who are not, if you're Jew here, I'm, forgive me for including myself in the story, but we have been grafted in. In Romans, we learn about not just two sticks that are restored, but another stick that is brought in. And we are that stick, and we have one family as we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. 
He's clearly saying again, everlasting, forevermore, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. He is going to set us in the land. He is the one that brings it. I have this picture in my mind when I finally stand before God. And I don't know how that's all going to work out. I've read about the great white throne judgment. I've read about the Bema Seat judgment. I have some theories. But in essence, when I have to give an account for myself, I do not, I'm not going to stand up and say, God, I was a pretty good guy. God, I, God, I did a, a more good than bad in my mind. Baloney. You did not. You just don't know how messed up people are. When I get there, I have one hope. Jesus. I have one hope. And apart from Jesus, I have no hope. This promise of forevermore and being established in a place with an everlasting covenant of peace and a sanctuary in our midst where God does not have to pull away and the Shekinah glory isn't taken away from the temple. He is close proximity to us and he's not angry. He's at peace with us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is good news. This is the precursor to the good news that is promised that is coming in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, son of David. The one who will bring a covenant of peace. Jesus will dwell with us. This is shocking and continues to be shocking to me. Every time we get to Christmas, I don't think I become less surprised by it. I become more and more surprised by the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Why would you leave heaven and come to the cesspool that we call home? Sorry about disparaging your homes. (laughs) Why would you come into our mess? And that's what it is. It's a mess. A mess that is so broken that I can talk to a man who is at odds with, you know, if I could have said to him, here's the formula for your family to be cured and you can have the relationship with your father that you've always dreamed of and you can hear affirmation from your father. Would he want that? Or would he want to stay angry? I mean, his jaw was clenched. He was set. And didn't even remember why he was mad. Anybody else aware of the human condition? Anybody else seen it besides me? Anybody else part of it besides me? My dwelling place shall be with them. Jesus will dwell with us. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This promise that was right from the beginning to Abraham, I will be your God, and you will be my people. This has been God's intention from the beginning. He built us to be in relationship with him and with each other. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What is the second Love your neighbor as yourself. It is ingrained in us. We need that. 
We need a relationship with God and we need a relationship with each other. And we are so broken that we run from both. And we ruin both. And God says, I'm going to come fix it. I'm going to make my dwelling place with you and I'll will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. That's where I get the word sanctifies from. This isn't just about purchasing us back. This is about fixing us. This is about giving us a new heart and making us holy. I I have the picture of the temple or the sanctuary where there were elements in there that were supposed to be set apart for God and that they were clean elements that would come into God's presence and they belonged there. But most of us didn't belong there. And Jesus comes along and sanctifies us. He doesn't just purchase us back with his love, but he gives us his Holy Spirit, and he gives us his righteousness. And in his righteousness, it's like on that day when I meet God and Jesus drapes his righteous robes over me. And I stand in the presence of God only because of Jesus' righteousness. This is the hope of humanity. This is the good news. This is a promise that's astounding. Verse 28, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. I'm with you forever. The longing of our hearts. What that gentleman didn't know is that he was longing for a good relationship with his dad. I know it. I knew it while I was talking. That's why his jaw was clenched. Every time he said, I don't care, he was screaming, I care. What humanity doesn't know is they are longing for a right relationship with God. There is an aching in humanity. And God has said, I will sanctify my people through this son of David. There is a way for us to be in right relationship with God. And it's through the son of David, the son of Abraham, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so glad that you didn't give up on the Jews. It gives me hope. We're as lost as they were without Christ. And Father, I long for the day when you restore the Jewish people and bring them home to the land in which you promised them. And I'm so thankful that you grafted us in and called the church your people and that we too are among those who are redeemed and are recipients of this promise. We love you, but more importantly, we are so thankful that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.